This is the last week in our series, Detox. It's the last Sunday of January, and I'm sure all of us have probably lost our New Year's resolution by now, or at least just I might have lost a few of them. But either way, we began this journey by talking about detoxing habits that break us apart from one another detoxing toxic habits that break us apart from one another. And we've covered some ground together just to jog our memory a little bit, or if you're joining with us for the first time in this series, so you know what you can look forward to if you go back and catch up with the sermons before. But we began with the Epiphany Sunday and talking about how we must break down that understanding that we hear words from the outside to listen to the other as a way to join more fully in community together. And we also talked about how we ought to use not use toxic language last Sunday. We talked about toxic charity and the way that if we just give without understanding of mutual respect and, you know, level playing field where people get the dignity they deserve we can break apart communities even in our best intentions. And I think as we close today, that's kind of the the point I want to drive us across is that I feel like these habits that we have, these toxic habits, are not intentional. I do not think that people wake up and say, how can I break apart my community, whether it's my family or whether it's our local community, whether it's my church community. I think that we fall into these by the pressures around us, and also by just the pressures of what it means to be human. And sometimes that's driven out of love for another, can lead us into toxic habits. And I say that because I think that the gospel reading this morning is one of my favorite images of the humanity of the disciples. Because here we are around the, like, the table, right? The, the Lord's Supper, and you can imagine this like, beautiful mosaic that was painted and this image, and we, we recreate the sim, like, this uh, sacrament of communion over and over again, and we talk about the liturgy, and it has this romantic feel to it. But there at the table, there's this choral that starts with the disciples. And let me just paint the picture for you a little bit. I don't think it was intentional. They were trying to, like, be great. The disciples start arguing amongst who's the greatest. But let's just paint the picture of what probably, I think, happened in that humanity, right? Jesus says to them, one of you is going to betray me. Someone here who is at this table is going to betray me or already has betrayed me. You know, and, and you can just hear what happens next that's missing in the gospel. Because I know what would happen is what would happen would say, not me, Jesus. I wouldn't do that. And then John might pipe up and say, well, what are you talking about, Brian? I certainly am not going to do it, so who's going to do it? And then Peter jumps in and says, well, it's not me. And then they start getting into it with each other. Well, you know, I was there from the beginning, right? I was the first one that was called. And then someone else jumps in and says, well, I walked on water with Jesus. And then they start, you know, talking about who has the greatest loyalty to Jesus. And it all of a sudden snowballs from the loyalty to Jesus and the conversation about who is not going to betray him to a conversation about accolades and credentials, about who is better than the other. And so they're now all of a sudden talking about who loves Jesus the most and who's the greatest as they're there at the table with Jesus. And then what does Jesus say to them? What does Jesus say to them? Who is the greatest among you but the one who serves 
Who's the greatest among the table would have been the obvious answer, the rabbi, the Messiah, the one that has been teaching, and yet he reminds them of what he was doing in that very moment, even for the one that was to betray. Offering grace, giving love, serving the Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians and says, Has this, have the same mind in you that is in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself and took the form of a servant. With all the quality of God at his grasp, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, decided to instead serve. Decided to instead serve. And so when I think about community, I can't help but think about how at the core of what makes community, what binds us together is that which Jesus did himself, served. And it it seems so obvious, but I feel like sometimes the habits that we kind of slip into, like the disciples, can blind us from the most important thing within the context of community, serving one another. Gathering together is certainly one of them, but serving each other, I think, draws us or creates a healthy community. And the toxic habit, I think, that we can fall into is sort of our own interest in the moment. The disciples wanted to prove themselves to be loving to Jesus, right? a totally pure motive. They just wanted to prove to this man they had been following that they loved him. And in that pure motive, they were concerned about themselves and started fractioning this table that they were gathering around. And Jesus reminds them of how to gather appropriately. I had a call with a a new parishioner here at the congregation. We we have a number of people that have joined us uh, over the pandemic, and I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone that says, I say to them, you know, uh, uh, not like, is this your first time or anything like that? I say, how how long have you been on island? Because that could be anything. I've been here my whole life, or I've been here for a few months, or I just arrived yesterday. And so I say, how long have you been on island? And, And they say something like, well, we've been here for six months, and we've been worshiping with you online, so we thought we would come and join you and, and be part of the community online or in person. And, you know, I, I just think to myself, wow, like, I don't remember ever having that as my experience as a pastor. And I've been having online worship, being a pastor since, you know, 2009, when I was a pastor in North Carolina, I, we've been doing online in some shape, whether it's just sermon podcasts or live stream. And, and rarely have I heard that phrase. And I think that one of the things that I've heard within the context of the church that people sometimes get like, you know, well, it's, it's better to be in person. I agree it's better to be in person. But the habit that they're weary of, if you watch online, is that it's just going to be about you, right? Just like on TV, you're the consumer in that. And I used to think the same until recently I've had a few of our newer members that have been watching online with us, or newer participants that have been watching online. And you want to know one of the first words out of their mouth? when they finally come and meet me in person. It's not like, you know, oh, we're so glad you've been doing such a great job. I've had numerous families say to us, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And just this past week, a member that had been worshiping online, has been here in person, had said, you know, Pastor Brian, I've I've been going at this wrong. 
I've been thinking about like ways I can get involved and what the church is going to offer and you know like when are the programs going to start up and he goes but let me just ask you this how can I be of service to you and to this faith community how can I be of service to you and this faith community? And those of you who have been on a committee of any sort or been a leader within any church context, when you hear someone that like shows up at your doorstep and says to you, how can I serve? You're like jaw drops down and you say to yourself, where did this unicorn come from? Like you are like magical. Like you're, you're asking me in our first experience how you can help us carry on the mission of the church. And, and I think that for me, it was a, a paradigm shift where I used to think that online was just, you know, the consumer portion, right? You know, you stay at home, you consume the worship service. But then I realized it's really been throughout the pandemic, this on-ramp for some people that have been able to come and get connected with us, learn about who we are from the people up front and the chats they see. And then when they come and get involved, they want to serve, they want to serve. And now, friends, that is kind of what we look at as gathering together in community. Because it's one thing to be here, online or in person. It's another thing to be serving in that context, to be serving in that context. I, I learned a little a bit about this over the past month as I have taken on a, a new hat other than the pastor hat, and that is Coach Brian hat. So on Saturday mornings, you might go to Waimanalo District Park, and you might see me out there, and I am a coach, or at Kailua District Park on 4 o'clock on Mondays and Tuesdays. We're practicing because we wanted to sign up Grayson for, well, and Hudson for soccer, and they told us, well, Grayson can go if you're willing to be a coach. <laughs> and so, of course, I was like, sure, I'll do this, and I go through all of the training and all those things, but it used to be I would show up to these like practices, whether it's swimming practice or soccer practice, I drop my kid off, right, and just watch them do their thing. It has been a whole different experience trying to coach, right, trying to serve. And I can tell you that I, I've experienced a sense of community around this soccer team more than I have in any other past sport that I've been engaged with, with my kids or some of those activities, because of my engagement as a servant there. I learned, the, and I'm not saying everyone has to be a coach, uh, but I learned the names, I, I knew the personalities, I, I knew the parents. I've known all of these things where before I would just sit on the sidelines and think about how cute my son was <laughs> running around, you know, age seven, kicking the ball with his friends. Or how I might be busy and need to drop him off and go run to the grocery store or do that. So I, I'm not saying that service is particular to the church. I, in fact, think that wherever you find yourself within the context of community, you will find a deeper and richer sense of that community, not when you're the CEO or in charge of it all, but when you are serving there. And many of us know that the best leaders are the servant leaders, those that are willing to disregard the, the role of whatever the role they find themselves in, and to serve. 
the story of the boss who you know, comes in or the commander or whatever it is and shows up and does the tasks that was way beneath them, right? That they weren't supposed to be doing, all of a sudden catches your eyes and attention to know that this person cares more than the one who strolls in with the tie and the suit and starts demanding all the things to happen. Servant leadership is a way that we lead communities. It's also the way we build community. And the toxic habit that I think that we ought to check with ourselves over and over again is the habit of thinking about our own interest. What's in it for me? What can I get? How did I like this? And instead asking, what can I give? What can I do? How can I serve? I mean, I certainly know that in our congregation, we all know the famous JFK quote. It's not what you can ask of your country, but what you can give, or you know, something to the nature. I don't have my notes. I can't get it exactly. He knew it. Jesus calls us to the same thing. It's not what we get out of the community. It's what we can give. And now, okay, so that's our call. Our common call is to serve. Now here, let me get one other, like, obstacle. And I think that this might be, you know, like, again, thinking about myself a little, that toxic habit. And that is, but, but, that word but, when you're called to serve, gives an obstacle of your service. And what I mean by that is, when I say, hey, Anne, I think you would be a great lay leader. (laughs) And Anne says to me, but Pastor Brian, I don't know what a lay leader is. Or when you say, John, I need you to lead a small group. And John goes, but Pastor Brian, I don't know anything about the Bible, or I don't know enough about the Bible. Or when we ask any of us to serve, when someone asks me to coach, I say, but I haven't played soccer in 20 years. You know, literally last time I played soccer. But becomes an obstacle of your feelings of inadequacy, of ill-preparedness, whatever they are, to the task of forming community. And, and if there's anything that I have learned about at least the leadership roles that I've been thrusted into is that every single one of them, I had a but and a reason. And in every single time, I did not feel, I did not feel equipped fully to take on the role that I had been asked to take on. I only say it because we have a, a, a guest that's uh, been in our midst a little bit a while, but um, uh, I remember when in North Carolina, when uh, the bishop, Hope Morgan Ward, she, one of the things that pa- uh, bishops do when they ordain you is they put your hand, their hands on your head, and then they say these words. And, and if you ever want to know, like, what I mean, like, I'm sure you've heard it in different contexts, but it's, take thou authority. Take thou authority that all of a sudden you have this, like, authority that's given to you to, like, lead. And I tell you what, when she said those words, I said to myself, Bishop, if only Bishop knew <laughs> who she was saying that to, right? Or I, I, I couldn't help but think about all of the doubts still I had, 
all the questions about who God was and how God works in the world and what's God's will look like and what does it mean to, you know, center myself truly in God's love and God's word and, you know, those questions and concerns that, that you have, I'm sure. Pastors don't always get by all the time. It's not like you all of a sudden take thou authority and then now all of God's mysteries have been disclosed to you. Now all the skills for leadership have been bestowed upon you. If only those words could do that when bishops gave them to you. But we have been called in the same ministry as any of the pastors that have been given those words to go We have a different role within the context of the church, but we are all called to serve, to go back to what Jesus said, the greatest among us is the one that serves. Or the Apostle Paul, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who didn't come to have the pomp, circumstance, and the authority, paraphrasing now, came to serve, and in one of the Gospels, the last moments, washes the disciples' feet before he goes to glory on a cross. So throughout this time, throughout this month that we've been journeying through these toxic habits, I think that this is a reminder for us all not what can we get, how can we serve to go into community? And and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he's a theologian, he wrote a book uh, called Cost of Discipleship, and he says within this, this project of following Jesus isn't something for cheap grace, he calls it. You know, the grace that's just dueled out and said God loves us all, but he says it comes with the cost, and the cost he says, is one that we must come back to over and over and over again. And that's the reality that we must lay down our interests for the interests of the community of the whole. And he's not just saying this up in theory land. He, he formed his primary theology. He was trained in Europe, especially in Germany, under, you know, all the, like, fancy names. He was a protege and, you know, like, an academic to be the academics of all academics. But he develops his core theology at a church in the Bronx when he was here in the U.S., And so when he says the words, we must lay down ourselves, it was him laying down all of the ideologies and the ways of understanding it that meant to be human and pulling himself into this new community, this very different community. The Bronx in the the 40s is much different than Kailua, UMC, or even Berlin for that matter. Laying down his understandings to allow this community of Christ to reshape them. And changing our perspective on the world is perhaps even the hardest thing that we can do. And so it says when we are called to grace, we're called to serve, and it's something we must do over and over and over again. Just like those disciples that had learned to follow Jesus along the way a little bit. I mean, they make a lot of mistakes, but (laughs) that's okay. 
But then there they were at the Last Supper, you know, like the time when they should have all of their ducks in order, and arguing about who is the greatest. Reminding ourselves of the cost of discipleship, Jesus says, it's those who serve. It's the least. So how can we give to the communities that we're a part of so that we might find more whole communities? We might find tables that aren't fragmented, but tables that are rich and vibrant where people have a seat and a voice. And it won't come on a silver platter. It'll come through the work and the sweat and the service that we give in those contexts. So this morning, I want to invite us to that question. How can you serve in whatever community you find yourself a part of? And then I ask the question here at the church, too, as our church ohana, how can you serve? And I tell you what, you're probably not equipped fully, but there's no but <laughs> that you ought to rely on, because God calls us all, because God believes that each one of us is worthy of respect, of dignity, a voice. And so as we engage with each other, we see each other as valuable, as meaningful, as gifted. Remember we talked about toxic talk yes, the last week, and we said, oh, well, let's build each other up. Let's see each other through those eyes. And if you see yourself through those same eyes, you might believe for just a minute that you are equipped by God for the task of serving. So let us go out and do that.